deals. And Bonds hits one high. It's a deep. It is out of here. The drive in the air to deep right field. That ball headed toward the wall. That ball is out of here. Out of here. It's out of here. It's out of here. Out of here. Outside Baseball with Seth Nevsky and Drew Frank. Hello and welcome to Outside Baseball. My name is Seth Nowski, and with me through the power of Zoom is my co-host, Drew Frank. Drew, how's it going? It's going pretty well. It's going pretty well. School is just about over, which is nice. I uh, get to take a little bit of a break after what felt like, I think, the longest semester. I don't know if you feel the same way. It just felt like it dragged on, but uh, finally behind us for the most part. So uh, feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, I'm definitely happy about that too. And I'm I'm kind of with you that this was an extra long one, probably because we've all been cramped up inside for the most part. Uh, and therefore, school has been uh, a main concentration, uh, which it was before, but, but now even more so just because there was less to distract you from it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's the big part of it. I mean, we all kind of knew it was coming after the taste of what online school was like in the spring uh, towards the end of last semester, but... Yeah, certainly, certainly wasn't the greatest experience, but like I said, it's uh, in the past now. Uh, how are you doing? How's everything uh, on your your end of things? Well, yesterday was the first night of Hanukkah. Not sure if you heard about that. So, you know, uh, I had some latkes with the family. Uh, we lit the Hanukkah. Uh, a lot of people confuse that with a menorah, but that's a different light candle structure in its entirety. But yeah, we, we lit that. We said some blessings. Uh, it was it was a nice family experience. So that's where I am right now. Now, uh, today we're recording on the second night of Hanukkah, which means two less prayers than yesterday. That's your Jewish lesson for the day. All right. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the spirit of the holidays, today we are going to see what every MLB team wants for Christmas. So addressing some sort of need that they have uh, in the holiday spirits. Drew, are you ready for that? Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of people looking in the same markets, and I think you can see that by some of the teams we've heard attached to the same free agents. So there might be a little bit of fighting to uh, grab the presents they want under the tree, but uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how these all line up. Mm-hmm. So do you want to start off in the AL East? Sure. Sure. I, I guess the biggest, clearest one is the Yankees. I think they they really want to get DJ LeMahieu back, a guy that's uh, AL MVP candidates, batting title winner two times over, just a, a very talented player that has said multiple times he wants to stay with the Yankees. Uh, they didn't reach their ultimate goal or anything. It's not like they've won the World Series and it makes sense to move on and go in a new direction. I think this is kind of a no-brainer, and I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen them get DJ LeMahieu back yet. Obviously, uh, a great last season for the Yankees. A great season before. I got a question uh, just about his age. Like, What would that contract look like being that he is 32 years old already and kind of popped off at, at age 30, which is odd when you think about it. Well, in the past, the Yankees haven't really shied away from giving contracts to guys in their 30s. So I'm thinking if this was the Rays, if this was a couple of other teams, Cleveland's, for example, they don't even like giving contracts to guys in their 20s. But <laughs> the Yankees, I, I think here we could see a three or four year deal um, somewhere around $20 million each maybe four times 20 is a little much um like you said considering he's already at that age 
Um, but certainly like three times 22 or something would probably make sense for LeMahieu. And that would be quite the Christmas present for LeMahieu. Now, just a couple more things. Are you aware that LeMahieu is 6'4"? Yeah, yeah, he, he's a big dude. Yeah, I guess maybe because he's been playing second base the majority of his career, you just don't think of him being that tall. He also has very uh, rodent features, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh, a big nose in the middle of his face, small eyes. So yeah, I, I didn't see someone like that uh, being as enormous as six foot four. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he is big, and that's one of the things that you hear as a praise for him because when with such great back control and being able to hit for such a high average when he has to cover such a big strike zone, um, almost extra impressive there. Mm-hmm, for sure, and uh, he he was very crucial to them last year, so. Yeah, like you said, they're going to try to get him back for sure. Uh, next up, the Rays. Uh, what would be their Christmas wish? Well, the Rays are never really big buyers. I don't think that needs to be explained or backed up with evidence. There's certainly enough of it out there. Mm-hmm. So I think this is almost a, a gift by omission here, by keeping Snell and, and appreciating what Snell has given them. I think their window to compete certainly um, isn't at a point where you need to start moving a guy like Snell for, for really anything else. Um, the rumors have come up saying that he could be moved. He himself says he knows he's not going to retire as a Tampa Bay Ray just by the nature of how the organization works. But I really don't think this is the time. I think the best gift that you can give your Tampa Bay Rays fans is just seeing Snell pitch on opening day and not having him pitch, say, for... Uh, wherever they move him, through Washington or wherever they would potentially trade them to, I, I think you got to keep him in the Rays uniform if you're a Tampa Bay management. This is that would be just like such an anti-Tampa move, though, when you think about it, and just think about their franchise in its entirety. It's kind of like they're very good at selling eternal hope, almost if you know what I'm saying, because. Right when their guy gets to be the star that demands such big money, they're like, oh, bye, we're going to trade you for a bunch of stuff. And then they just keep on doing that. And then they keep on trading the the pieces from the bunch of stuff that become good for more stuff. And uh, I guess when you're as small market as they are, that, that, uh, that split whatever thing that we talked about a couple episodes ago <laughs> looks like it might actually be happening in 2028 or whatever. Like, if they're that broke a franchise, that makes sense. But I don't know. I guess as a Rays fan, you would like to see, you know, a final culmination of a team at some time. Well, and I think trading Blake Snell, sure, you could say it looks like a a move Tampa would make. But I think it actually looks more like a move that Oakland would make. Because they have, Oakland seems like a team that hasn't shied away from trading players that could be at the cusp of their prime. But Tampa, like, I, I feel like you've you've seen them ride it out with some of the top talent they've had, whether it's Longoria or a couple other pieces. Like, they've they've stuck with their guys. I mean, going for their back, Carl, Carl Crawford, you saw with Tampa throughout the prime of their career and then just towards the tail end moving on from them. Blake Snell, I think he's not at that point yet. He's still young. He's only a year older than Glasnow, who we kind of keep describing and a lot of people describe as an up-and-coming talent. I mean, Snell's only a single year older. I, I think moving from on from now would just be way too early. Yeah, I guess I guess that makes sense. Do you want to move on to the Red Sox? 
Yeah, so for the Red Sox, it, it's certainly a lot more wide open. It's not just one player I'm going to target here. And I think the best gift for Red Sox fans is just a bunch of young arms because they've got an opportunity to give pitchers exposure at the major league level with Chris Sale not going to be back until the middle of the season. It doesn't look like they're going to be competitive right away. So I think the best bet here is take a chance on guys. We saw them acquire Nick Pavetta. I think that was a strong decision. A guy that hasn't looked great, but has shown flashes. And if Boston grabs a couple more of those guys for their rotation or their bullpen, give them a chance at the major league level, see what they can do. Uh, you never know. Maybe you'll find one or two guys that's going to be able to stick around long term. Yeah, I mean, their rotation was an enormous problem this season and just their pitching in general. So, yeah, I, I think that that definitely makes sense for them. Where do you see them, I guess, in the next 10 years, being that I believe in our draft, uh, was it Jack picked them as his final pick or his second last pick for the uh, the World Series draft? Yeah, Jack Jack took them towards the end, I remember for sure. It, I'm not sure about that because I'm not I wouldn't have picked them in the draft and and I didn't pick them because short term I think the Rays and Yankees are better long term the Rays and Yankees and Blue Jays are all probably looking better than them and even Baltimore depending how long a term you look I'm not sure where they go but if they can like I say use the next year next two years to try and figure out some pieces that are able to stick around long term and be surprises guys that you might not be expecting to be as good as they end up being and pair them with Devers and Bogarts and Sale and the established talent you've got there there's a chance that they rebound sooner than we'd expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah and now we move on to the Jays and what would the Jays Christmas wish be? Overall, I think it's long-term improvement. And by that, I mean you're not signing Bauer to a one-year deal for 2021 and he's gone the next year. I don't think signing a guy like Andrelton Simmons or a guy like Colton Wong is enough of a legitimate long-term improvement. I think they need to look for Springer. They need to look for um, maybe a guy like JT Real Muto if it works out. But primarily, if I'm picking a single name, it's Francisco Lindor. He's been linked with the Jays for weeks. Seems like they could be the best candidate at this point, as other big buyers like the Mets are saying they want to look through free agency. I think Lindor, if you can sign him long-term, has to be at the top of the wish list for Toronto and their fans. What would a trade like that look like? This depends on what Cleveland wants because we saw a pretty mixed return from like the Clevenger trades, some interesting moves, moving Bauer, moving Kluber, and, and kind of various pieces they got back. It seems like Cleveland wants to compete and they're not ready to rebuild, which makes sense because they've got Bieber, they've got all sorts of talent, Jose Ramirez. So I think it would probably be the name that keeps coming up is Lourdes Gurriel Jr., a guy that signed on a good deal that's team-friendly and Cleveland likes that, signed for four years, a guy that can compete and bat in the middle of their lineup and fill an outfield role. So probably look for a guy like him up there. You could potentially see one of the major league-ready catchers moved, whether it's Kirk, Jansen, or McGuire, but probably, if it happens, Gurriel Jr. is probably involved. So that's kind of a different style offer than... A lot of teams have seen for their sort of franchise guy. Uh, and I understand that they want to compete, but wouldn't the higher value deal just be prospects? Well, 
I think the the idea is if they're not going to be a high budget team, then they need to compete while they've got their younger guys kind of on nice deals. And Jose Ramirez is signed to a team friendly deal. Bieber isn't going to get paid for a couple of years. You've got some other pieces there that are, are looking to help. And I think if they can get Guriel rather cheap and maybe pick up a couple well-valued discount deals in free agency, the idea is compete now while you can. And then when you have to try and pay some upper tier guys, then maybe you look at doing a rebuild. But using Bieber as the guy to kind of lead this team for the next couple of years and stay competitive. And, and what are your thoughts on them actually being able to do this? And, of course, we're not on the Indians yet. We're still, you know, on the Jays. But uh, just in general, how would this move affect both teams? Which team would it kind of help more? Well, it certainly helps the, the Blue Jays a lot more. And the Indians are really only doing this because they have to, in their opinion, move Lindor before he gets paid, similar to what we've seen Oakland do a handful of times. And the Blue Jays, I think there's a decent chance we see them get this done just because you look at the people that are competing, maybe you say the Yankees are, but DJ LeMay, who's probably a higher priority for them. Maybe you say the Mets are, but they've kind of faded in interest according to the rumors as they more pursue guys like Bauer or Springer. And sure, there's a couple other guys. The Dodgers were in on him last year, but now that they need to address third base and potentially address the bullpen, it seems they might be outlawing it out on it a little bit more it's just the Jays aren't a perfect candidate but there doesn't seem to be too many other teams in on Lindor that I do think it actually is pretty likely we see him in Toronto Hmm. well that should be exciting for sure as a as a Jays fan Uh, but now we move on to the Baltimore Orioles what do they need outside of everything (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I think the a, a similar situation to what we talked about with the Red Sox, they need to use these years before they're competitive to try and find a star that'll be around when they are competitive. So they're not signing Bauer to a one-year deal. They're not signing Justin Turner to play a couple years and end his career in Baltimore. I think the guys they have to be targeting are the younger free agents. So Nomar Mazzara is the number one guy here, 25 years old still. Chicago signed him to fill this role for them, or they trade for him, but still, to fill this role for them as a guy that could be up and coming and be ready by the time they're competing. Turns out that their window arrived earlier than they were expecting. He wasn't quite ready. They had to move on from him. But Baltimore, I think picking up a corner outfielder like Mazzara, Schwarber at age 27, or even Jock Peterson at age 28 uh, could be good to help fill that role now, give them some more offense, and then still be in their prime come competitive time for Baltimore in three or four years. So is, is the thought process here kind of buy low and hope that they kind of reach their potentials? Buy low and and buy young. Get someone that's going to be around when you're competitive and someone you can see the ceiling on. The three guys I named have shown lots of power and they've shown strong approaches, but you've got to work on their approaches against lefties. You've got to worry about the strikeout rate. You've got a couple things to worry about. But if you buy on them in 2020, you hope by the time 2022 and 2023 come around, uh, they'll be a lot stronger and, and towards the peak of their career. Mm-hmm. Completely separately. I was kind of thinking about this yesterday with a friend of mine, and I'd like to get your opinion on it. This is We are talking about Baltimore. So is Maryland part of the South or no? 
I don't think so. I mean, it's well, geographically, I think that's a tough argument to make because when I think of Maryland, I think of DC as like the the closest relation. So mm-hmm. I would say no on that front. But uh, I've seen articles in which it says Maryland and DC are part of the South, and I'm just I I don't buy it. I understand that they're not quite the Northeast. That is, say, you know, New York and. Pennsylvania and and Massachusetts and just all of New England, I guess. But I don't think that they're part of the South either. They're in they're in no man's land in that way. Yeah, I <laughs> I don't really know. I I I would definitely not make that connection automatically. But uh, yeah, it, it's certainly like a, I. That's one of the ballparks I've been lucky enough to visit. Baltimore, Camden Yards, beautiful place. I'm not sure. Have Have you been there or seen it? I've never been. I've never been beautiful the whole the whole area around it too so it definitely has a different feeling than like a New York for example so maybe you could say it's it's kind of in that no man's land but certainly don't think of it in the same light as I would uh, the further south and also some people in Maryland do have almost southernish accents so yeah. I guess that might be part of it but <laughs> I don't know I just can't make that connection yeah sorry for that tangent <laughs> But now we move on to a team that we've already talked a bit about on um, the Cleveland Indians. What should they look for? Well, if we're talking about what they want for the holidays, it certainly wouldn't be trading their star. And well, that might be for the best. No fan wants to hear that. So we'll go a different direction here. And outfield is something that's gone unaddressed for Cleveland for so long. I mean, even when they had Brantley there... They never really had a true center fielder, and there were question marks. And after Brantley left for Houston, things haven't gotten any better. So I think outfield is where they want to address. Uh, I'll bring the name Schwarber back up again. I think it makes sense here. A guy that can play pretty decently in the outfield, uh, despite what his outward appearance might look like. You put him in that left field, and with that geometry, if he learns how to field it well, it's not as big a space as some other left fields. Could work out nicely. Um, you take maybe a division rival, Eddie Rosario, from the Twins, bring him over to Cleveland's. Uh, maybe, quite simply, you just reunite with Brantley. He's back on the free agent market, could fit well. He seemed to like it there, played a lot of his career there. I think if they are to make a splash, those guys aren't going to cost you $30 million a year. They're not going to be Trevor Bauer money. So I think somewhere around there could fit nicely for Cleveland. Yeah, I'm trying to think, what would the equivalent, like the real-life equivalent of trading Lindor as a Christmas gift be? <laughs> that be like toothpaste for Christmas? I, I don't know. It's Because it's it's a separation from someone that you've had right from the drafts. You, like, they've been... Hey, 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 Timmy, for Christmas, we're killing your dog. Would it be something <laughs> yeah, like that? Like... It's for Christmas! I don't know. For Christmas, we're giving your dog to someone else, and you'll get to see him when he comes to visit every few times a year with uh, with uh-huh. his, his new shit family. shit on your carpet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what it would be. But, but yeah, I guess just back on the front of uh, getting an outfielder, those are all good options. And once again, maybe I was, I was uh, kind of eluded by his heft, but I didn't think Schwarber was a good outfielder. Yeah, and, and that's why I kind of said surprisingly, because when you look at the defensive metrics, 
they really like him because he takes efficient routes. He's not necessarily the fastest, but he's got a strong, accurate arm. His range might not be the largest, but he's not going to miss anything within his range. Rather effective, and I mean, talking about Cleveland's, he's going to be better than a guy like Naylor in the outfield. A little, uh, a little less prob- hefty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's the right way to word it. But also uh, just a, a underrated defender, I guess, is the, the clearest way to describe Schwarber out there. Yeah, I, I guess that checks out. Uh, by the way, if you were to ask me before recording this podcast, who is taller, Kyle Schwarber or DJ LeMahieu, I would have said Schwarber by a mile, but he's actually four inches shorter. Mm-hmm. Once again, eluded by his heft. <laughs> a phrase that I just made up, but I, I kind of like it. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we move on to the Minnesota Twins. What do they need for Christmas? Or what do they want? Maybe what do they need? That would be like getting toothpaste for Christmas. <laughs> well, I, I think what they want is uh, some more starters because sure, Randy Dobnak has been kind of a cool guy to watch. He's not going to be the most consistent uh, pitcher from what we've seen limited to three or four innings sometimes if things don't go well. You like Barrios and you like Kansa Maeda while you've got them. I think to strengthen their starting pitching depth, I'd go at with a guy like James Paxton as someone that I would certainly be checking in on quite a bit if I'm Minnesota because I don't know what his price is after good years in Seattle bit of questionable years in New York, some health problems, maybe a little bit, but definitely look good toward the end of last year. And if someone's going to go underrated and, and maybe undervalued in this market, we haven't been hearing a lot on James Paxton. I feel like signing him to the money you'd pay a three or four starter might be possible, potentially, depending on how much term he wants. And he certainly has the ceiling to be a lot better than that. So, I think that kind of makes sense for Minnesota. You could potentially see them leave Nelson Cruz in the past and use that money elsewhere, but they could stick with him and look for cheaper options than Paxton. Don't necessarily know where they're going from here. I think they can get away with moving on from Cruz at this point, um, depending on how they see him progressing or regressing, I should say, in the next couple years. But in terms of making an addition, I think Paxton is one that I think makes sense here. Yeah, and I feel like being that, you know, it was such a weird 60-game season last year, it's going to be the guys like Paxton and Schwarber, you know, the guys who didn't play well or didn't play well in much time, as Paxton did, that could make a way bigger difference than just their stat line reads because of their histories as players. Yeah, and and Paxton, I mean, he's only 32, and I, I feel like he certainly has a lot ahead of him in terms of the rest of his career. He wasn't awful in New York or anything throughout his time there. Uh, Last year was the first year he's ever had an ERA over four. I think if you're going to commit to a guy maybe a little under the radar, even if you can say that, I'm not sure if that's a bit of a stretch to to paint him in that light. I think Paxton is someone I'd be targeting. Yeah, tiny sample size as well in the FIP. It's not below four, but it's a lot better than the ERA. So I still think he's he's a good pitcher for sure. And only 20 innings. Like, that's almost got to get mm-hmm. thrown right out. Um, but even before that, like 2019, 2018, it's still good years. Not sub three ERAs, but still still good years that you're not complaining about paying him, you know, several million dollars to pitch for you. Yeah, for sure. 
I, I think he'd be he'd he'd work well uh, with the Twins for sure. Do you want to move on to the White Sox now? Yeah, this was this was a bit of a tough one because this addition, what they want, decides based on what they want to do. If that makes any sense, they lose Edwin Encarnacion. It seems he's he's not returning, which means they need a bat. And interestingly, your DH spots now opened up. So Aloy Jimenez, still very early on in his career, we've seen a lot of troubles <laughs> defensively from him, to say the least. The White Sox don't seem to love his defense. His teammates don't seem to love his defense. So whether they move him to the DH spot or not, they're going to need to add a bat. They could sign a guy like... I talk about Schwarber a whole lot, throw his name in here. They sign him, put him in left field, move Aloy the DH, could be a possibility. Or if they want Aloy to learn better defense, maybe they think that'll help him stay in shape long term, do something like that. Nelson Cruz, potentially, bring him in as a DH. You've got a couple options, I think. They've got the pitcher, they've got Lynn, they've got a rotation that's set. Maybe the bullpen could use some help, but... I think the big thing you're wanting if you're a White Sox fan is just a big power bat. Mm -hmm. So the thought with Schwarber is, you know, uh, you kind of make him compete with Jimenez for his outfield spot to see if Jimenez improves there? The idea is that they're both going to start every day. One's going to DH, one's going to play left field, but you're going to get them in the lineup 150 times or more just because of the, the power and the talent that you know is there offensively. And then it's up to La Russa, it's up to upper management with the White Sox, it's up to whoever is making this decision on whether they see Aloy as long-term outfield or long-term DH, and then whoever they send through free agency can either fit that or, like you said, maybe potentially platoon and split time or do whatever they want based on where they see Aloy playing first. Aha, so they're going to try to steal from Chica- from the Chicago Cubs and bring yeah. them to geographically where the White Sox are that I'm blanking on. Which one's which? Like, where where are they in Chicago? South side. The White Sox are south side. Yep. That make the Cubs north side? Yep. There you go. So they're, they're going to bring him back to the south side as my Alexa makes an annoying noise, even though <laughs> it barely works because I can't really figure it out. That That's helpful. <laughs> Uh, but but anyways, now we move to the Kansas City Royals, and I got a question about Kansas City, and specifically Missouri. Are they in the South? But also, what do they want for Christmas? Uh, yeah, I, I knew when uh, you said a question about Kansas City, it's going to be something I have no idea how to answer. Uh, I, I don't know. I'll say that's more in the South culture than Maryland, in my opinion, just because it's it's not as biggest city it's kind of in more of a rural context and surrounding so i'll say that on one front but the one i do have a bit above a better answer for what would they want for christmas i think alex gordon played a great career there but with his retirement you need a corner outfielder tons of great options and this is a team in a similar situation as baltimore they're not quite ready but they're close And they're closer than Baltimore, and they're going to be more competitive, which means I think if they sign a similar Mazzara, a similar Schwarber, um, even Eddie Rosario, again, talking about the division rivalry thing, they pick up a corner outfielder, hope that he turns out to be something special come two or three years, maybe he's hitting his stride as you're competing. Uh, The same kind of idea, I think, 
uh, Kansas City could benefit from. We've already seen them busy in free agency with Miner uh, signing there as a starting pitcher, with Carlos Santana signing there. Don't know how much more they have up their sleeve, but those could be guys that I'd look to to sign as well, filling the role of Gordon to some extent, at least in his, in the starting lineup, and uh, potentially looking good for years to come. So what's the goal here for the uh, for the Royals? Would it be to make the playoffs soon? Being that, you know, they're a few years removed from that. Is it just to stay competitive and be less of a joke? Like, what do they want? Well, they want the rebuild to go smoothly. And Brady Singer's looking good. Hunter Dozer's looking good. There's a few guys here. But the, the idea is they need more time and they need more of their young guys to come up. They had the second overall pick in this year's drafts, Bobby Witt Jr., a guy that looks very talented, but again, very far away. So the idea is that they're in a transition period and they're not really anywhere close to playoffs with both the White Sox and the Twins looking really good. Cleveland was really good. We don't know how they'll look without Lindor if he end up, ends up moving on, what they end up doing. But Kansas City is not going to be competitive now. They're not going to be competitive probably in 2022 either. It's just sign a guy that'll help with the transition and potentially be proven as good enough to stick around once you're competitive again. Mm-hmm. And I didn't forget about this. So let me make the case that Missouri is not in the South. Oh, go ahead. Okay, it borders Iowa and Illinois, which are firmly Midwest. So I think at the very least, it is in a similar purgatory as Maryland. Maryland, I think, is more kind of in its own. Like, I, I feel like Maryland fits less than than Kansas or, or Missouri because I think Midwest is a good, like, is where they fit. They're mid, like, that's their identity, Midwestern. Maryland, I don't even know if they have an identity that they fit into as, as neatly as that. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting question, and this podcast, or at least this episode, might as well be retitled Seth's ADHD. But, <laughs> you know, I'm having fun. If you're having fun, uh, I'd like these tangents, and I'm sure our four listeners do as well. So, do you want to move on to the Detroit Tigers? Sure, yeah. Not a whole lot to say for Detroit that we haven't already said, even just about the Royals. Here, specifically, this is a team that does need more bats. So whether you thought replacing Gordon was a necessity for Kansas City or not, that's up to you. But for Detroit, they they just they've got a lineup or a rotation of young arms that they want to see succeed. The bats are gonna need some some helping. I think Mazzara, if he doesn't sign with Baltimore, he doesn't sign with Kansas City. Detroit's got to give him a chance because a guy that we saw do well with Texas, pure power. Look okay with the White Sox, just not able to get consistent, not able to figure something out. But at age 25, I'm rolling the dice on him every day. If I'm Detroit, he is the guy I'm looking for. Yeah, I I think that that could definitely work out. And this is a team, as you mentioned, that uh, you know they're they're not going to be good for a while. Uh, so I I think that you know just uh just taking some swings makes a lot of sense. Uh, and getting a young guy like Mazzara on that note makes a lot of sense. Do you want to move on to the Houston Astros? Yeah, yeah, for sure. This is uh, this is a, a bit of a change of pace, which is good. A team going in a different direction. A very unique spot. I guess maybe you could say Washington's in a similar spot as, as Houston. But at least Houston is still pretty young, uh, at least compared to what Washington's got. So... For them, I think the biggest thing is they've just the biggest thing they can look for for Christmas is some good news in terms of health. 
Verlander, his arm, you didn't like what happened to him last year at all, but still under contract for one year, so potentially we might see a return this year. Not looking great, but who knows? You could get some good news there. But almost more importantly, Jordan Alvarez, who is set to be a huge piece in this franchise for years and years to come, had surgery on both knees this year. I don't know necessarily how long that will track forward in terms of potential damage, potential outlook, but at least a little bit of good news on Jordan Alvarez's future would probably be the best thing that an Astros fan can hope for this year. So in that case, would that put them kind of back into the conversation they were in before? Or would they still be in a worse off spot? I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that you're gonna lean the second, uh, the latter there, but that should still make them competitive at the very least. Well, I, the biggest thing is that the division really isn't that competitive, hmm. and as long as the Angels don't make a huge splash. You can probably pencil the Astros into competing with Oakland at the top once again. I think they still have a good young core, and they still have all the stars. Bregman's still there. Altuve's still there. You lose Springer, which hurts, but Correa, Tucker, like you've got all sorts of talent. They're still competitive, that's for sure, but if they can have their full strength and, and not be as hurt as they were last year, they'll certainly go a long way. Yeah. Okay, so in that case, yeah, would they be just thinking outside of the division? Would they be in a same in a similar spot as say the Yankees in terms of top of the league? I I don't think they're right now close to the Yankees, especially when Severino comes back for the Yankees and they have that extra threat there. Potentially making a splash on free agency. There's rumors they're linked to Archie Bradley and a couple other guys. I think the Yankees are in a much better spot than Houston right now. I think. If I were to make a comparison to any of them, I think potentially, and this is not an overly great comparison, um, but the Cubs are a team I might look at as a World Series winner that has had a few of their big pieces leave them, aging, the core is getting older, are they going to rebuild, are they going to try and retool, they're kind of in this middle ground, but at the very least, they can look back on a World Series and uh, not have to worry too, too much about where the near future is going. I guess fair enough, and now we move on to the Oakland Athletics, and what would be their Christmas wish? Well, for them, the biggest thing is, I think, to replace Marcus Semien. Didn't have a great year last year, but before that, top three for AL MVP. That is no joke. Struggled in the 60-game season, but certainly will be a piece that they miss next year. You look at the, the free agent market, I'm not overly impressed with a lot of the shortstops. I mean, Andrelton Simmons kind of is what he is. We know what he is. Not much with the bat, okay with the glove. I think knowing Oakland's direction, signing a 30-plus-year-old shortstop with a very fixed ceiling doesn't fit the mold of what they've been doing. So I think they replace him via trade, and the team that I think is the most likely is a team that is going to be making all sorts of moves. We've already seen them making a ton of moves. The New York Mets 
with Andres Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario, two two young-ish shortstops that both have pretty decent talent and were fighting for time last year. Both looked pretty good. Talked about them both on a show last year. I can't remember which episode. Might have been the Surprises episode or X-Factors episode or something, but I certainly remember having this discussion. Two talented shortstops that are battling for time. I wouldn't be surprised if Oakland went out and got one of them to play up in the middle infield next year. Interesting. That would make them obviously continue to fight with Houston for the top of the division. But uh, but yeah, I, I could see that make a lot of sense for them. Do you want to move on to the Mariners? Yeah, the Mariners, a little bit of a bleaker outlook and a team that's kind of middling, a team that could be maybe better ready earlier than we expected with how good Kyle Lewis turned out to be. But for 2021, the biggest thing that has to be at the top of their wish list is just relievers. You can put that on the Christmas list no matter who you're asking. Anybody that can give them relievers, I'm sure they'll take it. Because last year, it seemed like they traded everyone away. I feel like they traded at least four or five of them to the Padres alone. And uh, now for 2021, they just need to get them back and potentially... Do what we've seen a few teams doing. The Jays are the first one that jumps to mind, but a handful of teams have been doing it. Where you sign relievers, you show that they can pitch well, and then at the deadline, you move them on for prospects. And that's worked well for teams. I mean, uh, Kansas City is another team that's done that pretty well. So Seattle did last year. I think now they're at the, the part of the cycle where they've got to load back up on relief talent. And then come July, maybe we see them send them off and uh, pick up more prospects along the way. Send those guys off into the sunset. Uh, I I think that that does make sense. And that's, you know, obviously been an interesting and good strategy that we've seen recently from, from teams in the Mariners' position. I'm really sorry, but in the back of my head, uh, both the Athletics and the Mariners got me nostalgic about baseball for two very different reasons. So for the Mariners, and I, this is a, a thought I had that I want to bounce off of you. When they had Hernandez and Ichiro in their primes, I'm trying to think, were there any teams that had as two good of players that were as bad as they were? Do you know what I mean? Well, how about the 2020, uh, how about the 2021 Colorado Rockies when (laughs) they've got uh, Arenado and Story and nobody else? I mean, we'll get to Colorado later, but that's the first example I can think of. I still think Seattle is the the winner there. I don't think either of those guys come close to Ichiro by any means, but that's the first idea that comes to mind. Is there a team that you can think of? Because I think that's all I've got in terms of two stars and just a horrible team. Yeah, I can't really, but it's like they're never able to put a like full team together, it doesn't seem like. They made the playoffs semi-semi recently. By that, I mean within the last seven years, if I'm not mistaken. Or at least they came close. But, like, you know, this team's just been weird and bad for a long time. Yeah, they they came close, but they didn't actually make the playoffs. Uh, they haven't made it since 2001. Oh, no. 19 straight misses for them. <sighs> yeah, they, they got to get over the hump. It won't be in 2021, no matter what they add. Even if they sign Springer, trade for Lindor, and sign Bauer, they might still be on the outside looking in just because of how how thorough a rebuild they have to go through. So you won't certainly see them making any of those big moves, but for the time being, I think aiming small, getting relievers, doing those marginal upgrades is probably their best bet. 
but uh, this rebuild probably isn't overly close. And the other loosely connected thing with the Oakland Athletics, when you mentioned the Mets and getting one of their middle infielders there, I was thinking about uh, that team that made the World Series with, who was that shortstop for them? They platooned two guys who weren't very good, and then one of them got hurt, and people made an enormous deal about it. And I was just thinking, like, that World Series between the Mets and, I believe, the Royals, least talented World Series in a while. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's tough to look back on that as a Jays fan and look at the team that Toronto had in 2015 and, and think if they could have just gotten past the Royals in those two games in the ALCS that they weren't able to come out on top on and the home run that was robbed by the Royals fan reaching over the wall and mm-hmm. and all of that, but... Yeah, it, and the Dodgers <laughs> in in a similar boat as well. Just like neither of those teams were very good. Yeah, I mean the Mets. Uh, you could make an argument that they could have won it just on the back of starting pitching. When you think about having Degrom with Matt Harvey when he was still good, with Syndergaard, with a few of the other names back when that was a healthy Cespedes, if I remember correctly, in 2015 he he uh, he was actually able to swing the bat a little bit, but yeah, it, it, it didn't work out. The Royals had that bullpen. I don't know, just tough to think back on from a Jays fan perspective. Yeah, for sure. But but now, completely unrelated, we move on to the Rangers. And what would their Christmas wish be? Well, I, I think Dane Dunning's a pretty good start. A, a, a nice acquisition for them. I'm surprised that Lance Lynn pulled Dane Dunning personally. I thought that was interesting. And then, not just that, the fact that moving Lance Lynn from Dane Dunning, they had to add in a prospect, did the White Sox. Uh, one for one wasn't enough. So, a nice trade there for Texas, I think. The Texas Rangers fans already happy with that. Maybe a little bit of cause for concern with the willingness for the White Sox to depart from him. I don't know if that's reading into it too much. There was some reports that they saw Dunning as like a max number three, number four starter. Uh, I think you can look a little higher than that personally from what we've seen so far. But beyond all that, they're off to a good start on their holiday season. I think the number one thing they'd wish for at this point, looking at the roster... Not much to be inspired by, not much to move unless you move Gallo, but I, I'm not sure if that'll happen. I think the biggest thing the fans want is just to be let into the stadium. You build a brand new stadium right before the COVID-19 pandemic hits, and then it has to sit empty for months and months and months. Pretty unlucky there. And then it comes to it, and you let fans in for playoffs, and the Texas Rangers don't even get to play in the stadium for the first <laughs> dozen games that it sees with fans in attendance. I think the fans just want to be let in. They want to see their team play in their new stadium, and that would be the number one list. So maybe a, a vaccine would be on the list for them, or, or just some way they'd be able to to watch the games. I think a vaccine would be high on most people's lists, to be fair, except for the people who don't want to take the vaccine. But hey, <laughs> give give that to me right away. I, I need to be let out on the streets again. I need to be unleashed on the streets, but maybe that's just me. But yeah, looking at the uh, the Rangers Stadium, we've talked about this before. Uh, I got to say, it's one where the, uh, the blueprint looks a lot better than the actual stadium. <laughs> Talk about the architecture, the construction, all you want. I also don't love the actual field of it. Like the mm-hmm. the the shape of the outfield walls, it just feels like they did that for the sake of doing it. Like it most parks kind of have their own like uniqueness or their quirks or something. This just feels 
It's ugly. I don't know. Artificial, if that's the word. Yeah, it, it looks. It's it's weird. It looks too big. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh huh. Just the stadium in its entirety, and then yeah, you're right. The outfield is an odd shape for sure. But hey, everything is bigger in Texas, as they say. So, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> guess that checks out. And now, last team of the AL, the Los Angeles Angels. What do they need for Christmas? Pitching. <laughs> pitching. Of any form, pitching. Uh, we saw there was a, a visualization put out of the Fangraph's total offensive war for every single team. And the Blue Jays and Angels were top five because offensive war is nice, but you, you need pitching. And the reason Blue Jays and Angels are top five is because their lineups are, are pretty solid. They're pretty okay, especially the Angels. Nice lineup they've got there. But the reason neither team were anywhere close to their division last year is just no pitching whatsoever. The Angels seem very high on, on Bauer. They seem to be one of the most competitive teams. I was surprised they didn't get Cole last year, but... Bauer on a one-year deal, if he looks to sign that, I think makes sense to the Angels. The other thing is this bullpen market is pretty saturated. And there's a lot of teams in the National League that need relief. So maybe there will be some competition there. But you look at guys like Mark Melanson, Shane Green, Liam Hendricks, Kirby Yates, Brad Hands, like the list, it continues and continues. Archie Bradley is a name we mentioned earlier. He's a free agent. I think the Angels, they sign maybe Bauer, if not a starter, Paxton, whoever ends up being, and one or two of these relievers, and they could immediately be right up there in terms of division competition. Huh. So in that case, that would be the first time since, what, Trout's rookie year in which they made the playoffs? Yeah, well, I, I, and I think it makes sense. You add Rendon, you add Otani in the past couple off seasons, and then if you were at Bauer... Yeah, you'd hope that team is back into playoff contention. Hey, they'll find a way to screw it up because that, that's just what they do. They, they waste one of the best player of all time's primes, and yet with no pitching. So, so that's where they are. Drew, do you want to do the NL today, or should we save that for possibly next episode? Your call. Well, I think at this point, we wait and see, because next episode, we can touch on the moves that we see made, because winter meetings will be wrapped up by then, see if any of our AL predictions have hit yet, and then come back with the National League, because there are going to be some changes. We saw the Rule 5 draft. Um, the, the, the meetings are well in progress, and should be a busy next week before, uh, before we're back here for our next episode. All right, fair enough. Is there anything else you'd like to say then? No, I, I think that's it. The only, well, the one note would be a shout out to the Miami Marlins for selecting Zach Pop in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, right-handed relief pitcher, probably. Started out as a starter. Looks like he might end up as a relief pitcher. But the note is that he is Canadian and went to my high school and hey. was traded back a couple years ago in the Manny Machado trade from the Dodgers to the Orioles. Rule 5 selected by... The Arizona Diamondbacks via the Marlins. He'll play for the Marlins. It's The Rule 5 draft is all weird. Ignore the <laughs> Diamondbacks thrown in there. It's just a, a wrinkle of it all. But seems like he had a chance to play in the MLB next year. Being Rule 5 drafted means he's got to be on the big roster. So shout out to the Marlins for giving them the chance. And uh, yeah, keep an eye out for Zach Pop next year. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I'll be rooting for him just as a fellow GTA-er. So yeah, that should definitely be interesting. So 
If that's it, thank you very much for listening to Outside Baseball, and we'll see you guys next time for the NL.